We are studying from the writings of Bala Sulam the foreword to the book of Zohar continuing from number 11. Forward to the book of Zohar number 11. Yes, please. Here we should learn these four manners of reception presented above in the first boundary. These are, one, matter. Two, form clothed in matter. Three, abstract form. Four, essence. Yet, I shall first explain them using tangible examples from this world. For example, when you say that a person is strong, truthful, truthful or insightful, etc., you have the following before you. One, his matter, meaning his body. Two, the form that clothes his body, his matter, meaning strong, truthful, or deceitful. Three, the abstract form. That is, you can shed the form of strong, truthful, or deceitful from the matter of that person and studies these study these three forms in and of themselves unclothed in any matter or body meaning examine the attributes of strength truth and deceitfulness and discern merit or demerit in them, while they are devoid of any substance. Four. Yes. If there are no questions, then we'll continue. There's four, the person's essence. Yes. Number 12. Know that we have no perception whatsoever in the fourth manner, the essence of the person in itself without the matter. This is because our five senses and our imagination offer us only manifestations of the actions of the essence. But none of the essence itself. For example, the sense of sight offers us only shadows of the visible essence as they are formed opposite the light. Similarly, the sense of hearing is but a force of striking of some essence in the air. The air that is rejected by it strikes the drum in our ear, and we hear that there is some essence in our proximity. The sense of smell, the sense of smell 
is but air that emerges from the essence and strikes our nerves of sense, and we smell. Also, taste is but a result of the contact of some essence with our nerves of taste. Thus, all these four senses offer us these four senses offer us are manifestations of the operations that stem from the essence and nothing of the essence itself. Even the sense of touch, the strongest of the senses, separating hot from cold and solid from soft, all these are but manifestations of operations in the essence. They are but incidents of the essence. This is so, because the hot can be chilled, the cold can be heated, the solid can be turned into liquid through chemical operations, and the liquid into air, meaning only gas, where any discernment in our five senses has been expired. Yet, the essence still exists in it, since you can turn the air into liquid once again, and the liquid into solid. Evidently, the five senses do not reveal to us any essence whatsoever, but only incidents and manifestations of operations from the essence. It is known that anything that we cannot grasp in our senses, we also cannot imagine. And what we cannot imagine will never appear in our thoughts, and we have no way to perceive it. Thus, the thought has no perception whatsoever in the essence. Moreover, we do not even know our own essence. I feel and know that I take up space in the world, that I am solid, warm, and that I think, and other such manifestations of the operations of my essence. But if you ask me, what is my own essence from which all these manifestations stem I do not know what to reply to you. You therefore see that providence has prevented us from attaining any essence. We attain only manifestations and images of operations that stem from these essences. Ken. Yes. I have a question that it's a bit difficult to explain, but it's written. 
feels and knows that I am solid and warm and I think and so on from discovering the, my essence. How do I know that there's an essence? I don't know. So why do I even give it a name? Because I discover the operations that stem from it. Why do they come out of it? I discover phenomena. Phenomena, yes. What do they come from? What do they come from? That's exactly the matter. That if I try to say that it's my essence, so there's a problem because sometimes we don't understand. It says as if it's my essence. Maybe it's a creator. Maybe it's the essence of something else. There's when we try to define essence itself as if it exists. So we're already trying to ascribe some certain discernment to it. That's why I find it hard to understand how we can even speak of something that doesn't exist. If it exists, so there's a revelation already. If it doesn't exist, how can we even call it by any name? There is something that exists, but we don't perceive it unless through the manifestations that it seemingly emits outside. I feel a problem in that definition because there's something that exists and I don't grasp it. If I don't grasp it, how can I say it exists? Because you discover the phenomena the manifestations from it. And that means that that something exists. But, but from it's only phenomena. The thing itself I don't perceive. Thank you. What's in Okay. Okay, so you have more time. What? What essence exists in reality? I don't know. Maybe there are uh, a lot more. I don't know. Our perception of reality is constantly developing. So if I think of the essence, there's the will to receive. There's the light. That's two types of essence. And I'm asking as the observer of those two essences, where do I ascribe myself? Am I a third essence? Is man another essence? No. Man himself is a collection of essences. What's the uniqueness of man? Because supposedly was given an opportunity to look from the side. By, by being able to attain himself. What's himself? What is that essence? The fact that he exists opposite the Creator gives him a relation to the Creator. And by this, we can attain ourselves. 
So our relation to the Creator is the created being. That's what we constantly have to develop. Yes. Go on. Thirteen. We do have for perception in the first manner, which is matter, meaning the manifestations of operations that manifest from every essence. This is because they quite sufficiently explain to us the essence that dwells in the substance in such a way that we do not suffer at all from the lack of attainment in the essence itself. We do not miss it, just as we do not miss a sixth finger in our hand. The attainment of the matter, meaning the manifestation of the operations of the essence, is quite sufficient for our every need and learning both for attainment, our own being, and for attaining all that exists outside of us. Okay, go on. 14. The second manner from the clothing manner is a satisfactory and clear attainment to since we acquire it through practical and real experiments we find in the behavior of any matter. All our higher reliable knowledge stems from this discernment. In other words, form clothed in matter is fine. We attain it. Next. 15. 15. The third manner is abstract form. Once the form has been revealed to us, while clothed in some matter, our imagination can abstract it from any matter altogether and perceive it regardless of any substance, like the virtues and the good qualities that appear in ethics books, where we speak of properties of truth and falsehood, anger and strength, etc., when they are devoid of any matter. We ascribe them merit or demerit, even when they are abstract. You should know that this third manner is unacceptable to the 
prudent erudite since it is impossible to rely on it 100%. Since being examined while not clothed in manner, they might err in them. Take, for example, one with idealistic morals, meaning one who is not religious, because of his intensive engagement in the quality of truth, while it is still, while in its abstract form, that person might decide that even if he could save people from death, by telling them a lie, he may decide that even in the whole world, if the whole world is doomed, he will not utter a deliberate lie. This is not the view of Torah, since nothing is more important than saving lives. Indeed, had one learned the forms of truth and falsehood, when they are clothed in manner, he would comprehend them only with respect to their benefit or harm to matter. In other words, after many ordeals the world has been through, having seen the multitude of ruin and harm that deceitful people have caused with their lies and the great benefit that truthful people have brought by restricting themselves to saying only words of truth. They have argued that no merit is more important than the quality of truth and nothing is more contemptible than the quality of falsehood. And if the idealist had understood that, he would certainly agree to the view of the Torah and find that falsehood that saves even one person from death is far more important than the entire merit and praise of the abstract quality of truth. Thus, there is no certainty in all those concepts of the third matter, which are abstract forms, much less with abstract forms that have never clothed in any substance. Such concepts are nothing but a waste of time. This is not simple. Not simple. What does it mean that it's only a waste of time? Why don't we nevertheless need to continue and research more and more and see that at one time we will come to a state. Why does it come to a state? Why doesn't he, doesn't he write that at the end of all the studies in the sense in our development, we don't come to a state where we can determine. Yes, Gilad. 
רב, מה זה צורה מופשטת בעבודה שלנו? אז אולי נחזור קודם אחורה, מה זה חומר ומה זה צורה? That is clothed in matter. Well, we learned it already. Matter is the matter itself, on which, about which there can be no doubt at all, because it comes to our uh, five senses. And the form clothed in matter is the internality. But in the work, can we say it's a desire and the intention of the desire, or... What is it in our relation to reality? We're not speaking about materials, right? Are you asking... What degree are you asking about? I'm asking on our work. Our work should be in all those four degrees between them. So in order to know what to be cautious of, I want to start from the beginning. What does matter in our work and what is form dressed in matter? Matter is actually matter. Wood, um, rocks, iron, doesn't matter. Matter. The, f- the form. The form, which is unrelated whatsoever to the matter. You can depict it You can create it on the computer or in your imagination and then shift that form, transmit it into, how should I put it, into matter. So we have an experience in life, in our senses, in matter, and in a form clothed in matter. And he says, be cautious, don't take the form, undress it from the matter and make conclusions about it. No. So, so what should we be cautious of here? Where is the border that we have to be cautious of? It's not a boundary uh, between the matter and form clothed in matter. But when we learn the form clothed in matter, we should not um, escape or run away. Uh, from reality, veer off from reality. I like it. How should I put it? I'm tired already. The form that is clothed in matter is what we see. You can say, this is a person. Although he is made of clay or from rock. It's a form, it's a shape. 
an abstract form. So then you're not talking about something that exists, but something that exists in your imagination. So he's warning us from our imagination. He says, don't use your imagination. He wants to define the boundaries for us. How far can we go with our senses, with our imaginations, and where we can no longer continue? That's it. When we say that we need to turn to the Creator and ask what is the right depiction to the Creator on those four definitions. When we turn to the Creator, what do we turn to? What form, essence, matter, clothing? It is the upper force that um, arranges for us all the matter, all our matter and our perception in the matter of all the reality that comes into our senses. It sounds like it's something undressed from uh, matter. If it's the upper force, so it's outside of the desire. The upper force, the Creator, of course it's abstract. So when we turn to the Creator, we pray. Yes. So we're turning to the essence. We turn to the upper force which has the power to organize, to arrange for us our whole perception. Where is it perceived when we turn to him? In our degree that is disconnected from him, where is it perceived? In our imagination. So this imagination, it's a form that it is, it's an essence, is it abstract? This imagination is in us. Understand it's in us, we can depict it in our imagination. Yeah, but it sounds to me like it's danger to be like in the fourth state or the third state, which is abstract. No, neither. If we are talking about the Creator, we have nothing with which to grasp Him. Exactly. So when we say prayer, that eventually our work is in prayer. Yeah. So who are we turning to? We're turning to some upper force. Some upper force. Some, yes, which is not in our perception. So it's abstract from us. Yes. So why isn't that going over the third or fourth uh, discernment? What does it mean? He said that the fourth one is not the touch of the essence, the third one is not the touch of the form without matter. Yes. When we're turning on something abstract from us, so we're supposedly going over these conditions. But the Creator is outside these limitations. So why is it not called that we're going over the fourth and third uh, limit here? I don't understand you. What are the third and fourth limits? The essence and the abstract form. Right. So I can't perceive the essence or the abstract form. I can perceive from the created being, 
only the form that is closed. So, so that's called Creator, right? That I attain Him. Come and see, Bola, that He's clothed in me, in the quality of His soul in me. So, so before He's clothed in me, when we say prayer, what form of an upper force are we turning to? You are turning to the Creator who, according to your perception, your imagination, or I don't know what you're describing there, you have a connection with Him. So how to turn to the Creator correctly? How can you depict Him? We need to depict Him that as if He's re- being revealed in the relationships between us in the form of bestowal that we feel in one desire, one heart with the friends in the ten that's called Creator. Yes. So what form am I turning to correctly when I turn to the Creator? You are turning to a form that is above you. It contains everything. It's infinite. And it's imperceptible. It cannot be defined in any way. It is simply the good who does good, who manages everything. Why does, is that not called going over the abstract form or the essence? You don't put it into any limitation, any boundaries. Exactly. That's why he's abstract from me, and I might make a mistake according to what I understood from what he's saying, that we don't go on the fourth or third limitation. And here you you depicted a creator that he's abstract, endless, above matter, above everything. So I have no attainment in that. Fine. How can I turn to something abstract for me? That's a different question. How I can turn to something that is not perceived in my senses, right? Yes. I turn to someone who is influencing my senses even though I don't feel it. Yes. Why? I'll tell you. It's because... I have faith in the sages. Faith in the sages. That they already attained it. They attained or didn't attain. I have no way to 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 determine here conclusively. But the fact that I trust them allows me to turn to them, to those sages, enables me to turn to them. Thank you. It's very, very elusive. Can. Yes. To continue that, can we say that the plea to the Creator is the matter? No. It's a desire a person has, like a need to turn to the Creator. Why is that not matter? 
What is this matter? The actual plea? You can say, start in any degree and say that the initial state is matter. What? Why is the first plea to the Creator which you picked? Why is it called matter? If not, why should I do it if I don't have a desire for it? Okay. You have a desire to attain the Creator. Can you say that it is real? The desire to attain the Creator? Yes. How can, be, how can there be a desire to attain something that you can't define that seemingly doesn't exist uh, with respect to you. That's difficult, but the plea to him is something more initial that I could have such a desire. No, he doesn't define it this way. Okay, we'll leave it for tomorrow. It's 5.30. I just wanted to give a short announcement that Akok and me, the study material team, from tomorrow we're going to study a very special article by the Rabash in the first part of the lesson, an article called What is Torah and Work on the Path of the Creator. Since that article is very long, it is 10 pages long, so we're going to divide the article into four parts that every day we'll be able to read a bit and open it more and more because it has a lot of discernments in it and also so, so friends will be able to read it a day before and prepare themselves so we just wanted to prepare the friends hearts for the special article that we can enter the next few days Israeli Kli friends, we are inviting you for an evening. We are all one nation. Uh, evening of connection and for strengthening the nation of Israel in uh, such an essential time for existence. Lectures, clips, music, and workshops. It's for us and for the general public, 18 and above. You are welcome to invite family members, and friends. So, 15th of February, 6.30 in the evening, registration was sent to everybody, and there are only limited tickets left. For more details, call our number, and today's schedule, noon lesson, 5.30 reading tests, and at 7.30 reading the Zohar. We'll end with a song. Let's go.
somewhere between us In this life we're all dying to know What awakens between us In my heart I can't take it no more If we made it so far It's a sign that we're close to our goal So we march on together And soon we'll discover our soul Let it all out Leave all your cares And begin to dissolve in the love in the air We won't despair No, we won't stop Keep moving together We let no one try Let it all out Leave all your cares And begin to dissolve In the love in the air We won't despair No, we won't stop We climb up the ladder We climb to the top La 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 Marchemos al frente y nunca hacia atrás. 